0: Good evening and welcome back to Amandla here on CQT 90.3 FM in Montreal and as I said before cqt.ca around the world and please do check out the best of Amandla on our blog which is cqt.ca slash Amandla. The Shadow of Gold premiered at the Hot Docs Festival in Toronto in February and is coming to Montreal on March 26th and I had a chance to preview it today. And I can say that it makes an important contribution to exposing this alluring metals path of destruction through people's lives, communities, and ecosystems. Joining us tonight by phone from Toronto to talk about the documentary is one of its writers, Alan Booth. Alan, welcome to Amanda and congratulations on a great documentary.
1: Hello. Thanks very much, Gwen. I appreciate it.
0: Okay. Well, there's so much to talk about here, and okay. I wanted try to cover a lot tonight, but I'm going to start with a really broad question, because what I want to do is start with the metal itself. There's something mysterious about it when you compare it to a resource like oil. Oil powers an industrial economy, so whether you agree with it or not, it's a difficult, um, it's it's a very tough struggle around it. But gold, it's valuable because it's beautiful, and that's it. It would seem that with all of the violence and destruction that yes. comes with gold, it would be easier just to turn the tap off. So right. okay. I guess I just so, want to start with that. Like, okay. why?
1: <laughs> okay, there's a, there's a few things about that. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And interestingly enough, you know, a lot of people will say, some people will say, well, oh, we have to have gold because, you know, we use gold in our, you know, our phones and our satellites and all those things. But really, um, over 50% of the gold, of the new gold that's, you know, that's bought every year, uh, is jewelry. Yeah. That's just what it's for. Now, I'm not saying, though, that jewelry isn't a good thing, right? Like, you know, people, you know, it's beautiful. People want to look beautiful. That's, that's totally fine. And some people, uh, very progressive people who we talk to, would say that their answer is, you know, nobody should, nobody should mine gold. Hmm. We don't need to mine gold. Um, we shouldn't do it. Uh, we should just use because we have so much gold in the ground in in bank vaults. You know, if some of that came out of the bank vaults. That could make all the mobile phones and satellites we could ever need. Um, having worked on this, uh, I, I I don't say that. I don't believe that. It, maybe I, maybe I would have thought it before, but I don't believe it now because, as uh, well as uh, of course in the film, you know, as you said, there's a lot of. Uh, the bad stuff about gold, specifically about gold production, uh, the environmental damage that it causes, um, social problems that it brings with it. But also, you know, there's maybe upwards of 20 million people in the world in some of the poorest places on Earth who mine gold not because they're trying to get rich but because they're trying to survive, Mm -hmm. right? And the, the last thing after... Uh, working on the film that I would want to do is throw them out in the way. Is
0: advocate box, against right? them. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Because and and uh so you know then that's just something, you know, that i that I came to and all the film team came to from doing the film. You know, when you do a film like this, it's not like, oh, we know everything about yeah. the subject, right? And so we're just gonna tell everybody what we know or something. You know, we're we're not interested in that. Like we, we're interest we're interested in If we don't find out stuff while we make a film, you know, we haven't done our job.
0: Well, yeah, it's Um, interesting you point to that because definitely the arc of the film is um, unusual, I think, for a gold documentary because uh, I've watched many of them and they are resoundingly... Negative, and there's very little hope. And your your film does point out, as you said, there's there's this aspect and a couple of others. So let's let's look a little bit at the arc sure. of the film because sure. y- your documentary takes us around the world. There's the revival yeah. of gold mining in the United States. Then yeah. we're in Canada, China, Peru, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, mm-hmm. and then Dubai and it's an interesting trajectory because I think it's allowed you to tell us a series of important facets of the gold story. So can you take us through that arc through those, those facets, both the negative and then, you know, ultimately you, you, you come to some, you know, potentially hopeful conclusions, but, you know, I think these are deliberately chosen destinations because they tell different aspects of the story.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, we, we wanted to do that we we wanted to kind of if we could with, without it just seeming like a survey, we wanted to kind of cover the waterfront a little bit uh, because you know we've seen we've seen documentaries about gold often you know especially on YouTube, there's a lot of very good short documentaries which deal with one aspect or maybe two aspects, but we wanted to kind of see if we could cover a lot mm-hmm. without it without it seem, seeming just like a survey so yeah, we started close to our home, which uh you know, in which we took as North America, and um, you know, we and in North America the mines are, are are big mines, the gold mines. Most of them. There are some people who do artisanal gold mining in North America, but uh, that would be very that'd be a very small amount of the gold produced. Most of it is produced by huge mines, and it's almost it seems like they're getting huger all the time. I'm talking about open pit mines usually, and these come with problems. Um, we, when we started to make the film, we, we, we were c- completely aware that there would be, that we would see environmental problems and so on. But what we, what we didn't really know was that um, we didn't know what people were doing about those problems. And we also didn't know um, how complex some of the problems are, actually. So we start out, we, we, we go to uh, 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 one of the places we go in North America is Montana. -hmm. Where uh, and it just happens to be a place that is just next to Yellowstone National Park, and uh, which has been a park for it's the oldest American national park, and um, you know it's an iconic uh, park. And uh, there's some people who are trying, who are are exploring for gold, uh, right on the um, right on the edge of the park. And we realized that with the, and there was conflict with the local community about that. There were some people in the local community who said, well, you know, jobs. There's going to be jobs. And some people in the local community uh, disagree with that. Though they don't disagree that there might be jobs, but they don't want to lose what they have. And um, what we found it interesting was how those people uh, feel about what they have and why they feel.
0: And what they have is a vibrant economy yeah. wrapped around tourism and fishing and an appreciation of the beauty of that environment, right? Yeah, it,
1: and, and and these are people, the interesting thing about those people, you're very right, that's exactly what they have. But, but what's interesting about those people is that they're not the kind of people who usually uh, don't like capitalism at work, mm-hmm. you know? They're people who are... Americans, they're not just Americans, but they're Americans who who live where they do, partly because of their, you know, mythos of, you know, American-style freedom. You know, these are people who are, these are fishing and hunting people. And they're not the kind of people who usually push back at, you know, uh, things like a a gold mine. But in this case, and so what was interesting to us is that some of them struggled with that. Because, you know... (laughs) On the one hand, they, they liked, you know, they like all entrepreneurial things. That's their mindset. But they didn't like this one. And, you, you know, it wasn't just, we, I, I think I would say at the end, it wasn't just nimbyism, you know, on their part. I think that they, they, were, they, they, they had good, solid reasons why, uh, why, you know, the mind wasn't right in that particular place. Um, but that's what I found interesting about it. It wasn't just that they, 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 you know, it was that they were the kind of people who wouldn't normally go stand up. up. That. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't stand up, and they wouldn't want to stand yeah. up. They would be the kind of people who go, "Yeah, capitalism, good." You know, but in this case, no. But
0: they also seemed deeply reflective. Like they seemed they like are. they were aware of the history of mining. That it's in for the short term, and what you're left with is a mess, and they seem to be aware of it locally and perhaps internationally, not clear from the documentary, but there seemed to be a real knowledge that this is very, very short term economic development, whereas what they were into at this point, bringing people into nature, taking them out on boats, uh, taking them fishing, is for the long term.
1: Yeah, they're, they're very aware of all that stuff. They're all, you know, when you dig in anywhere in the world... What you find is everybody's smart mm-hmm. people nobody's dumb, you know, and that's what we found there, and we found that everywhere we went, everybody is aware of their situations, they don't have problems because of a lack of smarts or awareness. they have problems for other reasons, mm-hmm. and those people were no different okay yeah. As- So that's. You know, and then, um, I mean, and you, you wanted me to sort of, you know, do the arc line. So. Yeah,
0: which so, we'll probably okay, have to I'll do try. a little bit faster.
1: I'll <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll try to be yeah. fast. Okay, so what are those people? So what do we get to? So what are those people? You know, that we, have, we have a guy in the film, uh, Sean Dykes, who's the guy who we, we talked to, him, who's the prospector who wants to, to develop this uh, uh, property, you know, for gold. And he's not an evil dude at all, but uh, I think... Um, He's, I think he's personally He's a little little misguided. But anyway, he's not an evil dude. Um, but uh, And he and he, he, was, he said, oh, no, our mine won't cause any problems, right? And I think he probably actually believes that. But, uh, you know, what are the people really afraid of? Well, they're afraid of the kind of disaster that comes with a big mine. And so that takes us to, we, we go back to the Mount Pauly yeah. disaster in Canada, which happened in 2014. You know, huge tailings pond full of toxic waste, the, the pond, the dam for the pond broke, got in the Fraser River, happens to be the homeland of a lot of indigenous people who need the salmon that they get from the river. And mm-hmm. so that caused a huge problem. Now, we filmed after that disaster happened quite, you know, about three years later. So really, our, our interest there was what was the repercussion? Mm-hmm. What was the consequence? And, you know, it it... It not only was the consequence not good for the environment, but when you dig into it, you find out, as we found out, that you know the the, the industry was given a very easy ride. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They, they they had to pay some money, but really the taxpayers are ending up paying way way more money to clean up that mess, and it's not totally cleaned up yet. And why is it that way? Well, you know, it's because the Canadian government has uh, does have all levels of government tend to have a very very Cozy relationship with the mining companies. Canada was built on natural resources, you know, uh, and uh, and and that's what that's what we found.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, one of so, the one of the from my perspective, because you know, I'm hosting an African current. This is an African right. current affairs radio show, and so part of what I found attractive about this film is so often when we talk about corruption, political corruption, it's, you know, it's all eyes are on Africa. And your film deals with the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and we'll yeah. get to that in a moment. But what I liked about it was that where you are dealing in an overt way with political corruption, actually, it's Christy Clark's government yeah. in right. British right. Columbia at the time, right. and the corrupting influence of the mining company behind the whole Mount Pauli mine disaster. So, we, so it's we refreshing. Got stuff. Yeah.
1: We, got, we got that stuff here. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna zoom right ahead to the Congo mm-hmm. but I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe tell you how we how we got there okay. and that'll get us there I think um, uh, I was was just doing some research and I came across I'd uh, done Africa but I came across a guy named Amjad Rihad who's in the film and he was a guy who it turns out that well, one of the big things about gold is, that gold travels from, from where it's mined to, uh, to, to us as consumers in a very circuitous way. Mm-hmm. People don't know how, you know, often people don't know where their gold comes from. And there's a reason for that. Um, it's not just accidental. There is, it's made, the system in a way is made so that we don't know. And the Amjad Rehad, when I came across him, he was part of that story. He was a guy who worked in Dubai where a lot of gold is um, refined, and he was he was an auditor. He was a fancy accountant, and he had been asked to do an audit of a um, of a big refinery called Colodi. <laughs> so he starts to do the audit, and he finds out that all their transactions are like so many of them, like five billion a year, are in cash. This is a huge company. How can they be paying for gold? in cash to the tune of $5 billion. Now he's thinking there might be something wrong. And then he realizes that the gold, a lot of the gold that's coming into the, the world supply chain through these big refineries, including in Dubai, come from what you would call uh, conflict gold. Um, and he, and so he, he blows the whistle on this. Um, but that, when, when, we, when we found out that he'd done that, that led us to, well, where does this gold come from? And it does come, some of it comes from the Democratic Republic of mm-hmm. Congo. So immediately we wanted to go there and, um, and film there and find out, well, how does it get there? But, but we, of course, first of all, um, you know, there have, been, there, have been, there have been things that have been done to curtail uh, the conflict goal. We're kind of arriving a little bit late, you know, with our film crew. But also um, the place where we wanted to film in the uh, Ituri uh, province which is the uh, northeast, one of the northeast province of border Uganda. Um, it's a it's a it's an area sometimes. There's a town called Mambasa, not Mombasa, but Mambasa, and it's um you know we we as film we wouldn't have been able to film there, you know it had to be somebody who really knew the territory and, and knew and was a kind of a local person sort of, and uh, we we came up we found this guy I didn't find it but the producers found him, he and Mark Comanche. Kim, who is a fascinating filmmaker, and he said, we talked to him about it, he said, oh, no, I can go there, I, I know the ropes, I know what's happening, I can be safe, I can do it without putting myself in danger. And so he went there and filmed for us. Now, what he found there was was not at all what we expected to find. We kind of expected him to film stuff that maybe you've seen in YouTube videos before, you know, people being forced to work in mines and Gold mines and that kind of thing,
0: which is the predominant reality, I think, in the DRC.
1: Well, yeah, it's it is it is a big reality, um, but uh, there's a whole bunch of things. That the, I mean, the government gets criticized for what they've done about that, but I, I think that it, I think it's really just, from my point of view, it's just that they're doing things very slowly because they don't have a lot of resources. But anyway, turns out that uh, there's an area there where, where he filmed um, where. Uh, you know, see, see, the other thing about the Congo is that you're not supposed to buy gold from the Congo, right? Because it's, it's conflict gold. And some people in, in uh, Ontario, in Toronto, who are fair trade jewelers, and, and an organization um, in Ottawa called Impact, an NGO, um, that helps uh, uh, resource workers around the world, they decided to try to do um, some essentially fair trade, or at least responsible gold from the Congo, kind of an impossible task, really. And uh, so they went to uh, the Mombasa, uh, Mombasa and Mombasa, uh, and it turns out that there's a, a kind of an area there, uh, which is a which is a place where people do surface mining for gold, and they're individual, either teams of people, informal teams, right? There's men and women who who do this in this area, and um, they had a kind of a, a uh, they they met some of the people, and they kind of asked they asked people you know do you want to be part of our project to try to do traceable responsible gold from the Congo do you want to be the people who are producing that gold and so uh, quite a few people signed up for this including uh, these wonderful women who appear mm-hmm. in our film mm-hmm. uh, who are led by this unbelievably charismatic woman.
0: Yeah, she's spectacular. <laughs> she's
1: no. fantastic. No. Uh, uh, and, uh, I, you know, Kahambu uh, Vareni is her name. And um, uh, she, she not only is, uh, she, so she is a, a gold miner, a surface gold miner, and she has a team of about six, uh, I think, yeah, five, five or six women. Um, and she's um, she's I, I say that she's a leader. I mean she's sort of the informal leader. You know what I mean? That, that they're working together on that. Mm-hmm. They're a cooperative, and they call themselves that. And um, so uh, they actually do it in the film that, that we we show how how it is possible to to do to, to buy and because you're, you're actually buying directly from them. Um, that, and they're the people who, who mine the gold. Uh, you know, uh, responsible. Non-conflict gold from 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 the DRC, Um, and again, why we like this is because, you know, as you probably know, there was in the states there was a Dodd Frank Act, and they, which forbids people to buy gold from the Congo. Well, it turns out that the smuggler, you know, the people who are the the bad actors. Well, they just get around that.
0: Well, clearly, because, I mean, you yeah. know, that whole section in Dubai with, uh, it was clearly, it smuggled gold yeah. to the tune of millions of well, dollars yeah, that are fueling warlords. Of of yeah, yeah.
1: So, so the Dodd-Frank Act, you know, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying the people who do, in the states who, who put that through are bad people. You know, they, they were trying, right? But it just doesn't work because people just get around it. So what does that do? Well, it throws the good miners, the people who aren't mining conflict, gold under the bus. And that's no good.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I mean, I think part of what's really very nice about this documentary is that there is those those positive stories so this group of largely mostly women who are very small-scale miners bringing gold out in a responsible way and linking with uh responsible jewelers in the united states and elsewhere very important part of the story and nice because it's a positive it talks about how gold can actually lead to you know the prosperity of these communities but i I do, I do want to back up because I think that, uh, there's another part of the story that we kind of skimmed over really quickly and it is, it is this auditor in Dubai and I have to say I was completely riveted to that because it echoes another story, uh, When when Zaire, or then known as the Belgian Congo under colonialism under King Leopold. And King King Leopold but it's there's an amazing parallel in this documentary Mm. because King Leopold was caught out. That at the time it was really rubber, was the big thing. Right. And he was caught out by somebody so similar to your auditor in this story. It was a number crunching guy for a shipping company. Company, And he's looking at this and he's saying, I'm looking at these numbers. Why are so many arms getting shipped into the Belgian Congo? What is going on here? Wow. And through his number crunching, he discovers the horrors of what is going on in the Belgian Congo under King Leopold, where people are being worked literally to death to produce this rubber for industrializing Europe. And so, you know, your film, it's almost like Amjad Rihani, is that his name? Uh, Amjad Rihani. Yeah. yeah, Is the, the, you know, the latest incarnation of this. So tell us a little bit about his story, because when he pushes the button on it, much like our guy back Mm -hmm. in King Leopold, Leopold's time. Tell us what his happens to him.
1: I I will tell you that, but just to see if the parallel holds, could you tell me what the guy in King Leopold's time? What happened? What was the upshot of what he did? He
0: becomes the he becomes one of the instigators of one of the first kind of humanitarian movements against this form of exploitation.
1: Okay, well, maybe his story, for him and for the people he's trying to help, may, may actually be, the story in the past may actually a bit may be a bit happier than Rehan's story, yeah. in a way. Yeah, Because um, what happens to Rehan is he blows the whistle on this thing, and he's working for Ernst & Young. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that his employer, Ernst & Young, will, you know, he's written, in other words, Rehan has written a report that says, uh, you know, the... Uh, you know the 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 refinery are being bad actors, and they're not they're not they're not doing what they should be doing. And there's this conflict gold getting at the supply chain. That's I'm paraphrasing his report. His report doesn't say exactly that, mm-hmm. that's the gist mm-hmm. of it. Um, he he says that, and he figures well, Ernst and Young will back me up. They're my employers. Uh, you know, uh, you know they don't. Ernst and Young, in fact, want to come in, and they want to allegedly changed the report completely um and uh and so and and the upshot is that that Ernst and Young um uh, have admitted no responsibility Uh, Collodi has admitted no responsibility uh Rehad basically was fired he had to he really felt he had to leave he left with his family in a big hurry for London England where he is now I believe he's in London England now in fear basically for his life and um uh, and, and and what was the upshot of all that? Well, the upshot of all that was that there was a little bit of heat on Collodi uh, for a while. Um, but what has really happened... You know, maybe I should leave a bit for people who might like to see
0: Yes, that. it's true. We shouldn't um, tell too much to of Collodi, that story.
1: <laughs> what happens to Collodi <laughs> in yeah. the end? Yeah. It's interesting. It's fascinating. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, Amjad, I don't know if we we didn't, you know. Of course, when we interview people, we we do long interviews. We only put a little bit, you know, in the film. But you know, Amjad really said to to us, and he also said to the Guardian, where he because he blew, when he blew the whistle, you know, the, he, the story was in, you know it was to a reporter at the Guardian in London, right? And he said to them that, uh, you know, he was just thinking about the people in. Uh, the Congo, mm-hmm. and uh,
0: yeah, he's a, he's definitely a, a bit of a hero in this story for sure. He, he's, he's a very he's, very he's a impressive hero. person.
1: Um, but you know what what you know, but what does the, the blowing the whistle? It, it's good in a way because people, uh, I would I would venture to say, like us, get to find out what's going on in the world. But whether, but whether it really changes things, I'm not so sure. But it's it's still good that, he, of course, naturally, that he did it. It's great. And it's but, great that your
0: yeah. film has brought his voice back to life, because I think yeah. that there, you know, it, I think it's, it's one of the stories in your film that reveals the real power that people are up against in yeah. fighting this. Yeah. So... Um, Alan Booth, as I had predicted, we have a lot to talk about, and we're we out do. of time. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can, I can give you see. a couple more minutes. Do you want Is there sort of a final summarizing thing you want to oh. say about this, this documentary?: Oh I don't
1: know. Um, I, I just think that it, well, the, the, the thing is, whenever you do a documentary, you know, it can seem to people maybe who are listening to this, like the documentaries, maybe they've already already get, get it that it isn't, but that you know, you do a documentary about gold, right? And it's about gold somehow. It's about the substance, gold. Well, gold figures in everything in the documentary, but it's about people. Yeah. You know, it's about how, and it's about how people deal with the situations that are, uh, in a sense, created by this substance that everybody, you know, so many people want. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, The Shadow of Gold is going to be uh, playing. It's going to be screening for the first time here in Montreal on March 26th at Cinéma du Parc. And Alan Booth, who I've just been speaking to, is one of the writers, as well as Denis de l'Estrac, Produced by Robert Lang of Kensington Communications in Canada, as well as uh, Sally Blake, Film à and Kappa in France, in association with TVO, Canal Day, Knowledge Network out of Canada, and Art out of France and Germany, SVT from Sweden, and NRK from Norway. So we'll be posting that on our blog and hope everybody gets out on March 26th to Cinema du Parc to see it. It's well worth it. Um, Alan, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Amandla.
1: All right. Thanks for talking to me. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.